0: Dogs and cats living together. An ill-treated fan in Warren Zevon. Yes, it's time for Force Majeure. Alston and Bird's Jason Levine returns. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. All right, thank you so much for joining us again, Jason. How are things going in our nation's capital?
1: Things are great, Lawrence. Thanks for asking. We got word that probably next week, D.C. will start to be open for business again. So we're all very excited about the possibility of getting back to work.
0: So glad to hear that. That is really good news. So Jason, today our show is about force majeure. And uh, as you've mentioned, uh, the economy is starting to open up around the country. And I still think this is an important topic. And so I think if you're a, a business owner or an attorney that works or does work for a company, or you have a friend that's in business, I think this episode is relevant to you. And so You know, uh, since the uh, shutdown began and the shelter-in-place orders took effect, our supply lines have really gotten hammered in terms of availability of products, and uh, we're not getting the uh, efficient cost for delivery that we normally do. I'm sure people have noticed at the grocery stores that products are becoming more expensive or they're not available. I think everybody remembers toilet paper, paper towels not available, but this also impacts manufacturers. If they can't get the raw materials they need, they either can't fulfill their contracts or they have to charge more or things just take longer or there are delays. And so that brings us to force majeure, Jason, these little escape hatches out of contracts that are built in. So just in general terms for attorneys that maybe forgot or uh, people that are a little bit new to this,
1: what is force majeure generally? So generally, you know, in American contract law, force majeure is an unforeseen event beyond the party's control that's not caused by either party that makes performance of a contract impossible by one party or both. And commercial contracts often have force majeure clauses which spell out covered types of events that would excuse non-performance by one party or the other. But there's no generally accepted definition of force majeure. There's no common law doctrine of force majeure that applies universally. This is all spelled out in the contract, which has to have a force majeure clause.
0: So if you're a business today, and uh, you've got an upcoming contract, you're just getting back to work, and you suspect, you know, we just do not have the raw materials, or that that cost for raw materials to make this product is far too high. If I, if I fulfill this contract, I'm going out of business, and you suspect that you're going through a force majeure event, what are your first steps?
1: Well, if you think you're going through a force majeure event, and let me say what you mentioned might or might not qualify, the first thing you need to do is really look at your contract very carefully to confirm whether it actually has a force majeure clause and to see exactly what rights and remedies it provides for. And you should probably consult with counsel about that to make sure you're looking at it correctly. And then next, the most important thing to do will be to comply really strictly with any notice requirements because usually force majeure clauses have a short window of time for the parties seeking to be excused to tell the other party about the force majeure event. And then, you know, you should also determine If there are alternative ways of performing or other steps you can take that would reduce the business disruption that your non-performance would cause the other party, like, for example, finding somebody else who could step in and provide the goods and services that you were supposed to provide, which is also sometimes known as cover. You're covering for your inability to perform. And last, it would be a good idea up front to make a detailed written record of exactly what the event was that occurred, which you think is the force majeure, when it happened, why it happened, the extent of its impact, how long you think the delay, if it's a delay, would be, and all the parties that are involved, just to make sure there's a record there that you've got in one place.
0: So typically speaking, what are the, uh, the elements for a successful force majeure argument?
1: I think you can really boil it down to five elements. First You would need an event to occur that's defined in the contract's force majeure clause. For example, we have COVID-19 currently. Force majeure clauses sometimes will have a pandemic reference that could be considered a force majeure in some of those clauses. Second, the event needs to cause performance to be impossible. It just can't make performance harder or more costly. Really, impossibility is going to be the key Like, for example, you're renting out a house, but it gets struck by lightning and it burns to the ground, so there's nothing to rent. That's a possible force majeure situation. Third, the event cannot be due to the fault or the negligence of either party, either yourself or the other party. See the lightning bolt example. Fourth, the party that seeks protection needs to comply with the notice requirement, which is usually a very short window. You need to let the other side know that you won't be able to perform because of a force majeure event. And then last, the party that's seeking to be excused from performance also needs to show that there are no alternative ways to perform and that they've taken all reasonable steps they can to avoid having to invoke the force majeure clause. I would say those steps are really the five key elements to a successful force majeure defense.
0: Quick follow-up to that based on those unforeseen events. You know, I, I've seen some examples where they're calling out specific things that happen, like a hurricane or, or something along those lines. But I've also seen other clauses where they kind of leave that door open for interpretation. So, you know, what are the pros and cons of being specific versus leaving that door open?
1: Well, personally, I would really advocate being specific. You know, it's important to try as best you can to define the unforeseen events by category that the force majeure clause would cover so there's clarity between the parties and so you can try to eliminate or at least minimize the possibility of disputes later. Because haggling over whether an event fits the force majeure clause really becomes a common source of litigation. And frankly, it's being seen today in litigation over coronavirus business disruptions and arguments about insurance coverage, you know, where force majeure clauses may not necessarily clearly cover the coronavirus pandemic or government closures. You really need a force majeure clause, if it's at all possible, to be quite specific about what kinds of events are included and what kinds of events are not included.
0: So let's say you have a a really strong, compelling argument that a force majeure event has happened, and you start to check those boxes of those key elements. Like, What actions are excused under
1: your contract? So typically, there are two types of actions that are excused. The first would be non-performance, whether in its entirety or just partial, depending on the timing of performance. And then sometimes the force majeure clause will also excuse delays in performance. Not that you cannot perform ever, but that you cannot perform within a particular window of time the contract might otherwise specify. So the practical difference between non-performance and delay, you know, will depend on the contract and will depend on what the force majeure clause says. Non-performance usually is broader than delay because that tends to assume the performance will eventually occur. But, you know, just because performance is excused, importantly, that doesn't mean that the non-performing party can get a windfall. If payment has already been made for, for, for performance, but that performance is later excused by a force majeure, the money you know, will have to be returned or something worked out with respect to the consideration paid, because the force majeure clause is not intended to give a windfall to the non-performing party.
0: Are you kind of pushing yourself into a breach as a party by trying to bring that scepter up if it's not an appropriate defense?
1: Well, I think that's the biggest risk you raise, as you're alluding to is invoking force majeure, but then failing to be able to satisfy all the steps that are spelled out in the clause, failing to meet the definition of force majeure, failing to satisfy some of the elements of the claim that I mentioned. If you, in fact, assert force majeure and try to weasel out of a contract, so to speak, without actually qualifying to do so, then you do open yourself up to a claim for breach of contract possibly claims for damages, maybe even claims for specific performance, and that is clearly a risk, which is why one needs to be very careful in trying to assert force majeure. The risk for the counterparty, of course, is that it doesn't get what it bargained for, and it might not even be able to get what it bargained for even from uh, a different company if cover is not required from the non-performing party.
0: Let's say you don't have a force majeure clause because this happened pre-COVID-19. My, my guess is that there will be a lot more force majeure clauses put into contracts going forward. But let's say you don't have one. What other options do you have if you simply cannot perform your side of the contract due to, uh, you know, lack of supply or it's prohibitively expensive to do so?
1: Well, you know, in that situation, there are really three possible other common law contract arguments that someone in that position could make. So the first is impossibility. Many states recognize the defense of impossibility, which is narrow. It applies only where performance has been made literally objectively impossible, kind of like a force majeure situation without the clause being there. Again, impossibility caused by an event that isn't directly the result of something the non-performing party did, something beyond its control, like the lightning bolt in my other example. There's also the defense of commercial impracticability. That's a bit different than impossibility. It requires an event, again, not caused by the non-performing party that makes performance so costly or difficult, even though technically possible, as to be utterly unjust. Now this is a very difficult defense to win on if it ever has to go to court. To take one example from a fairly well-known case, say you've got a contract to charter out your boat, but the boat is damaged before the charter begins and the cost to repair it is greater than the value of the boat itself. In a case with similar facts, this particular court in New York found that requiring the repair would impose an excessive and unreasonable cost, and so did not order it. A defense of commercial impracticability in that situation won. Another example might be if a government regulation that was put into force before your contract performance started would suddenly make performance much more expensive or much more burdensome that might also possibly count as commercial impracticability. Last, there's a doctrine called frustration of purpose, which can exclude non-performance if performing a contract no longer serves the party's original purpose and some event has basically destroyed the value of the performance. So for example, let's say you enter into a contract to buy a commercial building in order to then rent it out to a different party. While your purchase contract is pending, the city decides to condemn the building as unsafe. You could, under the doctrine of frustration of purpose, seek to rescind the contract because the party's purpose for that contract, a sale of the building, in order for it to be rented out to a third party, has been frustrated by the condemnation. And the party seeking to rent out the building from you as the intended purchaser could even seek to be excused from the rental agreement on the same grounds in the event you still go through with the purchase. So frustration of purpose is another variation on this that again is somewhat less strict than commercial impracticability, which is also somewhat less strict than impossibility, but it's kind of a sliding scale. And your strongest possible defense of these three is impossibility if indeed performance is rendered impossible by coronavirus or something related to it or some other event.
0: Really great information, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us again. And if our, if our listeners, they want to follow up, they have questions, how can they find you?
1: Sure. You can find me by email at jason.levine, L-E-V-I-N-E, at Alston, A-L-S-T-O-N.com, or by phone at 202-239-3039. I'd be happy to answer any questions any listeners have. I've been handling complicated contract disputes, including these kinds of issues, for over 20 years. I've even taken a few of them to trial. So I'm happy to talk if someone wants to call.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. Also, we'll cite and make available our sources for this episode on our website, legaltalknetwork.com. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Clitty. Stay strong, everybody.